Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind, once again, to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Judges. The Old Testament book of Judges in chapter number 6. The Old Testament book of Judges in chapter number 6. This morning we were introduced to the biblical judge Gideon. Remember, we've already gone through several biblical judges. We went through Onethiel, who is the only judge to be virtuous, meaning that there was nothing socially or wrong with him in any way. Next, we had Ehud, who was the left-handed deliverer. And, of course, that was looked down in the Pacific culture they had. They had Shamgar, the third judge, who defeated 600 Philistines with an ox goad, but he did not continue with it. He won the one battle, but he did not continue on. And things ended up worse after it than what happened before. Then after that, we had Deborah and Barak. That Deborah was rejected from being a judge socially because she was a woman. And Barak because he um, he was clingy. He need instead of obeying, he needed a lucky charm. He needed Deborah to be there with him. And because of that, he didn't get the total victory. He did not get the honor. Now we come to Gideon. Gideon, we explained this morning, was a coward. He was found as Jesus himself showed up. He was hiding in the side of a building, trying to grow crops. Please don't hit, see me. Please don't look at me. Please don't look at me. And it was Jesus himself who showed up. This is important. We're going to hit that a little bit more in detail in just a second. But it was Jesus who showed up. The angel of the Lord in uh, Judges chapter 6 is God in flesh. It is Jesus Christ. What is called a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. That means he actually had the privilege to listen to words come from Jesus' lips. He was able to be in a conversation with a physical Jesus. Now, what does he do with this opportunity that God has given him? What does he do with the instructions that was given to him? Notice, if you don't mind, as we pick it back up in the book of Judges, chapter number 6. Judges, chapter 6, and let's pick it up starting at verse number 33. Judges, chapter 6, and we're going to jump it in right where we left off in verse number 33. The word of God says this. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites... And the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet and Abizer was gathered after him. And he sent messengers all throughout Manasseh, who was also gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and unto Nephtali, and they came up to meet them. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon the earth beside, then I shall know that thou shalt save Israel by mine hand. As thou hast said. And it was so, for when he rose up early on the morrow, and thrust the fleece together, and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. 
And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece, and let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and that there was dew on all the ground. And if you're in the habit of writing titles down, we're going to call this passage here, Gideon's Fleece. Gideon's Fleece. And with this, we're going to explore uh, this specific occurrence dealing with Gideon and Gideon and his fleece. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And for the great privilege it is to be in your house tonight. And we had a great service this morning. And what made it great is that your presence was here. That you showed up. That you were here with us. And we're asking for that again. That we recognize it is all vain if you are not here so once again as we continue with this thought you be with here you be here you honor your own word now again i need to remove myself out of the way so the best i know how i surrender myself to you and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit and that you get your own work accomplished in the life of the lives of these good folks through your precious word today in jesus name we pray amen As we examine this passage, we want to try to get the good context to go with it. And first of all, we want to see the spirit of the Lord directed. The spirit of the Lord directed. It's amazing. This is one of the passages that deals with the Trinity. And it's an Old Testament passage. We've seen the angel of the Lord who is God robed in flesh. We've seen God himself speak with Gideon. And now we see the spirit of the Lord enacted. That we have all three parts of the Trinity. Remember that they're the same God. Different aspects of the same God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are the same being in different aspects. Notice in verse number 33. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. Now, what is occurring is that, remember for the last seven years, every time the Israelites planted crops and they sweat it and toiled, and right when they're ready to be gleaned, the Midianites and all the armies came from Jordan River, and they went across like locusts, like grasshoppers, and they took all the crops they wanted, and they burned everything else. Guess what time it is? It's time once again for eight years coming. They are lined up ready to burn the crops again. Remember that the Bible says that they are, the Israelites are greatly impoverished. They're just not poor. They're greatly poor because of this. And remember, finally, after seven years, someone had enough sense to say, you know what, maybe we should ask God to help us out. And they did. And God has raised this little peep squeak, this little fraidy cat, this guy who's scared. And he's going to use him to defeat all these armies. Aren't you glad that God is able to use the most unlikely of us? Because the greatest ability we have is our availability. Now, sometimes those things that we have, those traits, could be hindrances rather than blessings until God is able to mold them and make it and still work with us. Aren't you glad that God gets his work done oftentimes in spite of us and not because of us? (laughs) Sometimes we're more of a stumbling block than a help, but God is able to get his own work accomplished as long as he has a willing vessel. Now, notice this in verse number 34. 
But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet and Abiezer was gathered after him. Remember, Abiezer is his grandfather's tribe. It's part of the tribe of Manasseh. And so he blew the trumpet and some soldiers came from Abiezer. Then he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, which is one of the 12 tribes, who was also gathered after him. And he also sent, and he sent messengers to Asher and to Zebulon and to Deptali, and they came up to meet him. So what God did is that God filled Gideon and Gideon called these soldiers. And all of a sudden, 32,000 soldiers have showed up in attendance to him. Now, it was God that was doing that. And not Gideon. God was the one who said, all right, surrender yourself and let me take over for a little bit. And God directed and brought all these people. Next thing you know, Gideon says, what in the world? There's 32,000 people here. And now he's scared again. You know, the one thing about being filled with the spirit, as soon as this flesh gets back in control, you're no longer filled with the spirit. You're in charge. Remember that in order to be filled with the spirit, you have to be dead to self. You have to be emptied of yourself. As soon as you start getting back in control, you're no longer filled with the spirit. He gets scared again. And now he's back in charge instead of God. And he looks around and says, uh-oh, uh-oh, I'm supposed to lead these people to war. I'm this little pipsqueak guy. These guys, these are the people that picked on me all in my life. I mean, now I've got to lead them into battle. Uh-oh. But we can see that God is directing them. Now, the thing to remember is that twice Jesus himself. Now, I'm not saying a messenger. I'm not saying a preacher. I'm saying Jesus himself looked at him in his eyeballs and says, I will be with you. Go get this done. Jesus gave him a direct order. Jesus personally told him to go. You know what that means when God gives you a direct order? You obey. And so we see the Holy Spirit's directing. They brought all the troops. They're all there ready to go. God has already said, go get this done. It's going to happen. Let's go. But now Gideon gets in trouble. The second thing I want to show you in this text is Gideon's disobedient desire. Gideon's disobedient desire. Now, the angel of the Lord, who is Jesus, directly commanded Gideon on what to do. The Holy Spirit brought these troops here. Everything is lined up. But Gideon is still bulking. He is still hesitating. He is still not obeying. So what he does is he wants confirmation. Let's take a pause here. If Jesus himself showed up. And he gave you an order. Do you think you need confirmation if God just gave you a direct order? The answer should be no. But Gideon said, I know that God himself robed in flesh showed up and I recognized it was him. But I need double checking to make sure that this is what I'm supposed to do. Think about that in a second and let's see what he does. So what he does is he asks for a sign. Verse number 36. And Gideon said unto God, If thou will save Israel by mine hand, as thou said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the floor. And if the dew in the fleece 
uh, be on the fleece only, and if it be dry upon the earth beside, then I shall know that thou shalt save Israel by my hand, as thou said. So what he does is says, all right, God, I just, I just need a sign. I need a double check. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this, this sheepskin, this wool on the floor. And in the morning when I wake up, if the sheep's uh, skin is wet and the ground around is dry, I'll know that that's what I'm supposed to do. So he goes to bed, wakes up the next morning, the ground is dry, and the sheepskin is full of water so much that he wrings it out into a bowl. <sighs> Look at that. Then his old brain says, you know, it could have been that I just overslept and that everything was dewed and then in the morning it just dried up. So maybe it wasn't really a miracle after all. So, God, let me double check. Let's reverse this. Just to double check, I just to triple check. Let's put the fleece out in the ground again. This time in the morning, you let the fleece be dry and let the water around it be wet. So he went to sleep and the next morning, guess what? The ground is wet and the fleece is dry. And he says, okay, I guess I, guess I know for sure that's what you want me to do. Now, let's go back. Jesus himself showed up, looked at him in his eyes and said, this is what I want you to do. Why in the world does Gideon even need to double check and to triple check? You want to know the answer? It's because he didn't want to do it. He wanted to disobey. You know, it's an awful, horrible thing when God gives us a direct command and we look for reasons to not obey. That's a horrible thing and we do it. Well, I don't really know if I should do this or not. What does the Bible say? Well, really, is that what I'm supposed to do? Yes. You see, the Bible gives us very clear commands. And we disobey. You know, as we go through here and we see Gideon who's doing these signs and some people will look and say, oh, look at this. Uh. Look at this faith that he had. No, it wasn't faith. He didn't want to obey. You know how we know he didn't want to obey? Because if he wanted to obey, he wouldn't need a double command. For example, many of you have been teenagers, right? If you made it this far in life, many of you have been teenagers. Some of you have had teenagers, all right? So let's say that a teenager goes up to mom and dad and says, Dad, can I have the keys to the car? And when you tell them no, guess what they're going to say? Why? Now, do they really want to know why? No. What they want you to do is they want to question you to see if they, you could, they could talk you into it. How do you know they're not looking for understanding? Because if you say yes, before you get the less S out of yes, they're tearing out of the driveway. Right? They didn't need an explanation why you said yes, but they need an explanation why you said no. It's because they didn't want to obey what you told them. Does that make sense? If somebody is given a command and they have no problems doing it, they don't need a double check or to triple check or to quadruple check. They'll just do it. But if they don't want to obey, what they'll do is they'll ask why. They'll look for signs. They'll look for something else. They'll look for any excuse they can not to obey. Now, we understand this because we've done that ourselves one time or another in a situation to another. This is what Gideon is doing. Because guess what would happen if he woke up in the morning and the ground was dry and the fleece was dry? 
Well, I guess it wasn't God's will, so I'm not going to do it. No, Jesus told you to do it. So whether it showed up as a sign or not, you're supposed to do it. Does that make sense? He was given a direct order, but he's looking for a reason to disobey. No wonder Jesus said, and twice in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 39, and in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 34, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh for a sign. You know what Jesus said? A wicked and an adulterous generation. That word adultery carries the idea of spiritual adultery. It has the idea that you want someone else other than God. That instead of obeying what God has given you, you're looking for something else. Now, Jesus is saying, you know what people want? They want miracles. They want to give a bread. They want this other stuff. They don't want to obey they want to be entertained. They want a sign. They want to wonder. They want something to go ooh and awe after. Because it's much easier to be entertained than it is to obey. And Jesus had some strict things to say about people who sought for signs. Who looked for wonders. So we see Gideon here. Now he's going to end up obeying because God didn't give him much of a choice. Because he showed him. Now... Again, aren't you glad we have a patient God that didn't uh, shoot lightning down and strike Gideon? Because there's times that we've been disobedient just like that, that God told us to do something from the word of God, maybe delivered through the preacher or something, and, and we balked at it and we made excuses and we covered it up. Aren't you glad that God's still patient with us? We have a good God. But we're trying to show that the problem here is that Gideon didn't want to obey. Sure, it may have been motivated by fear, and some of you may have motivations. But the end result is he didn't want to obey. Now, let me show you something about signs and wonders in the Bible. Turn with me to the book of First Peter, or rather Second Peter, if you don't mind. The book of Second Peter, that's towards the end of your Bible. So if you open up the back of the Bible, you have the book of Revelation, Jude, Third John, Second John, First John, Second Peter. Second Peter in chapter number one. We explain that the Holy Spirit directed. We also said the the disobedient desire of Gideon, Gideon's disobedient desire. A third thing I want to bring up now is that the word of God is definitely better. The word of God is definitely better. Now, Peter is giving an eyewitness account. He's recounting something wondrous that happened in his life. Notice with me in the book of 1 Peter, chapter number 1. 1 Peter, chapter number 1, and let's pick it up in verse number 16. 1 Peter, chapter 1, and verse 16, it says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now he's recording this and he says, we're, we're not telling you fairy tales. We're not recounting things that we heard. I'm an eyewitness. Let me tell you something that I saw. Then he goes on. He says, for he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came a voice 
to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now, Peter is recounting what is often called the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember Jesus left most of the disciples behind and said, You, Peter, James, and John, come with me. And he brought him up to the mountain. And during the time in the mountain, all of a sudden, Moses, the real life of Moses and real life Elijah showed up. And Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing just to sit there and watch? Here's Moses marking out. It's Moses. It's Moses. Look, it's Moses. And then it's Elijah. Oh, look at this. It's Elijah. Look, wow. And they're talking with Jesus and they're talking about things going on. And, and Peter, James, and John get to listen to them, have a conversation. And they're like, wow, this is so great. And then an amazing thing happened. Jesus was transfigured. The word transfigured has the idea of turning inside out. You know, remember who Jesus is. Jesus is God robed in flesh. You know what that robe covers? His glory. Jesus never set aside his glory. He covered it up to dwell among us. And you know what he did? Just for that moment, he took off that robe. And they saw him as God. They saw him in his glory and his honor. And Peter, James, and John hit their faces. And they could not move. And just when they saw the transfigured thing of Jesus... They heard God the Father speak. Notice again what it said. It said in verse 17, For he, Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to, um, to him from the excellent glory, this is God speaking, This is my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now, they heard God, the Father, speak and said, This is my Son, who am I well pleased? And Peter's saying, You want to talk about experiences. That was an experience. Could you imagine what it was like to be in the mountain with, with James and John? To see Moses, to see Elijah, to see them talking. And then Jesus took off his robe. He took off his clothes. And we saw him turned inside out. And we saw the glory of God. Then we heard the voice of God. He said, wow, can you imagine that? Now, the one thing about experiences is that only one person can experience it. For example, as much as Peter can recount the details, you weren't there, right? Experiences is limited. Notice as Peter continues on with this in verse number 19. We have also a more sure Word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that take heed as a light that shineth in a dark place unto the day dawn and the day star rising, knowing this first that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Peter said, now, let me tell you about this experience. I was an eyewitness of it, but he says, as good as that experience is. You have something better. You want to know what that something better is? The Bible. The word of God is better than any experience. The word of God is better than any sign, any wonder, any 
angels in heaven, any wonderful thing. The word of God is better. Peter said, hey, if you had the choice of going out and seeing the Mount of Transfiguration, if you had the choice to see Jesus turned inside out or to have the completed Bible in your hand, he says, you know what you should choose? The Bible. Can you think of that? He says, you would be better off having a Bible in your hand than experiencing that for yourself. The Bible is a more sure word. It is better than any experience. This is God's word. And we just don't say that as a moniker. This is actual God's commands to us. And when he gives us a command from the word of God, we either obey or disobey. That's as simple as it is. Because a command from the Bible is just as good as if Jesus came down and looked at you in your eyes and said, do it. You see, we do have the same problem as Gideon because sometimes we don't want to obey this. And we want something to pop in to entertain us to do something so we don't have to obey. But the Bible is the more sure word of prophecy. We are going to obey this or disobey this. When we obey this, we obey Jesus. When we disobey this, we disobey Jesus himself. It is the Bible that is our judge. It is our Bible which is the standard we go to. This is the more sure word of prophecy. The Bible is better than any experience. We have to be careful with this. This idea of experiences. Because people will seek for experiences. For example, you ask someone, how do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? Well, I was at the end of my rope. I was at the place where I was about ready to die. And I saw a great white light. And I just knew that there was a peace. And I know I'm going to heaven because of that experience. Let me tell you, you are in dangerous ground. Because the Bible is better than any experience. You need to know that you're going to heaven because of what the Bible says. I'm not going to heaven because some angels opened up and a great choir said, Oh, and I know it was God's chosen. I'm going to heaven because some, one day someone opened up the Bible and showed me from the Bible that I am a sinner. And because of my sin, I hurt and disappointed and offended a holy, righteous God. And because of that, I deserved an awful place called hell. That's what the Bible says. I know I'm going to heaven because someone showed me from the Bible that Jesus loved me so much that he died for me. And you know what I did is I found out what the Bible said, how to have peace and joy. And I did what it said and it worked. I'm not going to heaven because I feel like it. I'm going to heaven because the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Let me tell you, you can't base whether you're going to heaven off feelings. Do you understand that there are some days you wake up and you don't feel saved? You don't smell saved? You don't look saved? But I'm going to heaven because the Bible says so. We have to be careful with feelings. Why do I say that? Turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 17, if you don't mind. <clears throat> We have to be careful with feelings. You know, we have to be careful with the signs and wonders that come out. 
Notice Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah 17 in verse number 9. If you don't have this verse marked, you need to mark it, highlight it, bold it, do whatever. This is an important verse. Jeremiah 17 and verse number 9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know what this says? You can't trust your own heart. Your own heart will lie to you. Your own heart will deceive you. Your own heart is a liar. You say, what do I trust? The Bible. You cannot trust feelings. You can't trust wonders. You can't trust experiences. You have to trust in the word of God. It is the word of God that we obey. We don't do things because we feel like it. We do things because the Bible commands it. We have to be careful. We have to understand why are we doing this? Because we will. You know that God is not against feelings. Feelings will often back up what his word says. Praise the Lord when you get the warm tinglys. But do you understand that there's sometimes that God will take away the warm tinglys just to see if you're going to be obedient, whether you feel like it or not? That happens. Well, I don't feel like going to church, but I'm going to because that's what God wants me to do. That's the right answer. Rather than saying, you know, I don't know if I should go to church today. I know what I'll do is I'll let my cat decide. I'll open up the door and if he chooses to go outside, well, if it's good enough to go to my, for my cat, then I'll go outside. But if my cat stays inside, well, then I know I'm safer in here. You laugh, but someone does that. You can't judge things off of experiences, off signs and wonders. Now, Gideon... God is trying to get him to go, and he already knows Gideon's heart, that Gideon's going to disobey if he gets the chance. So he get, lets him go. But you know, it'd be better for Gideon. We're, we're talking about the good between the best now. Was it good that Gideon obeyed? Yes. What would be best if he obeyed without any signs and wonders? If he just said, this is what you told me to do, I'm going to do it. Does that make sense? We're not trying to knock Gideon uh, too badly. But it's a thing not between the good and the bad, but but it's between the good and the best. And the best is obeying Jesus, doing what he said. Those feelings will get in the way. They are deceitful. For example, someone may come like this. Pastor, I just don't feel at home at church anymore. It just, there's something that's just different. It just, I don't know what it is, but I don't feel at home. So we're going to have to leave now. I, 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 I love the church and I love the stuff, but I just don't feel at home anymore. All right, fine. Is uh, there anything unbiblical going on? No, no, it just I don't feel at home. Has there anything that's changed? No, it's not that. Are you reading your Bible? No. <laughs> okay. Well, is there anything you're being disobedient to pastor on? What does it matter? It's not that. It's just I just don't feel at home anymore. You know what they should have? The word of God. What does the Bible say? You can't trust your own heart. It is deceitful above all things. That is a powerful statement. It says, be warned, your own heart will lie to you often. And it is desperately wicked. Do you understand that Satan loves to use feelings? He loves to use emotions and to blow them up out of control. So you look at things filtered through your emotions and now things look topsy-turvy and they look bad and look wrong. You can't trust it. What does the Bible say? 
What does the Bible say? Does the Bible say that we're supposed to come to church? Absolutely. Then it shouldn't be a debate unless you're providentially hindered like working or in the hospital. We understand that. All right. What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says to read the Bible. Well, I just don't feel like it today. What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says that we're supposed to pray. Well, it just it doesn't seem to be working for me. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Well, I'm supposed to go witness to people. But, you know, this soul winning thing, it's just it's inconvenient and it takes too much of my time. What does the Bible say? Isn't that simple? What does the Bible say? But we all are emotional creatures. I don't care if you're a man or if you're a woman. We're all emotional creatures. And we can all get to the place where we filter things through emotions. And we have to be careful because we can't trust them. You can't trust signs. We know that there's people that are looking for stars in the skies. Look, all the planets going to align and that means something. Yeah, it just means all the planets are aligned, man. Well, you don't understand. It is the fourth blood moon in this year. We need to be prepared and stocked up. The moon goes around all the time, man. Just there's nothing going to happen. Oh, this is the last year of the Mayan calendar and we're going to run out. What does the Bible say? Now, we laugh, but we all know people that are looking for signs and wonders. Even our friends in the charismatic movement. The charismatic movement believes that sign gifts, remember what Jesus said about signs, by the way, but they believe sign gifts are today and that they're still speaking in tongues. Well, let's say that there is. Well, the Bible gives rules in how to do them. So we'll take them and show them from the Bible. Well, if you're going to speak in tongues, you have to obey this rule, this rule, this rule. And it's all in one chapter. So you can look down and you have to follow the rules. Well, I don't care what the Bible says. I know it's true. What do you mean you don't care what the Bible? I know it's true because I did it. That's an actual conversation with someone, by the way. You know what they do? They're basing their experience higher than the Bible. How do I know that, that this ghost thing is true? I saw it. What does the Bible say? You understand that we live in a world today that seeks for signs and wonders. They look for spiritual supernatural things. They look for angels. They look for Mary's face inside of a tortilla ship. They look for the statues that have blood coming out of them. They look for signs and they look for wonders. But let me tell you better than anything. We have a more sure word of prophecy. That is the word of God. Just in case you didn't know where my stand was before tonight, I'll let you know where it is now. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? We have to judge it off the Bible. We have to look and see what the Bible says. We have to depend on what the Bible says. It is what God has given us a command. And by the way, we can't judge it whether we want like it or not. We go with what the Bible says. And if an experience or tradition counteracts the Bible, we choose the Bible. We have to choose the Bible. The Bible does say we have a more sure word of prophecy. Peter said, I was an eyewitness of these things. I was there. You could trust me. But better than that experience is the word of God.
And we have a choice to obey or disobey. We can't let our feelings, we can't let this stuff intervene. Do we do what God has told us to do? It's simple. We make things complicated. We obey the Bible. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.